couldn't help but notice after the second reading our kind of Catholic reflexes. Whenever someone says, forever and ever, you just automatically say amen. <laughs> or, through Christ our Lord, amen. It doesn't, doesn't matter when it happens. I love that. Uh, so is, is it not a massive injustice for God to create us such that our only happiness comes from being relationship, in relationship with him, from finding him, but then going and promptly hiding himself from us? Uh, it seems, uh, I, I just don't know how it's possible, just how easy it is to run away from God for us. How can God let us fall so easily into disbelief or lose faith? Um, there's so many people losing their faith, and it seems God isn't doing anything about it. Uh, he tells us we ought to worship him and only him, and then hides himself away from us and puts before our eyes this beautiful world full of uh, such delightful things. And, and it's so easy to fall into worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And... I mean, is this really how God's always operated, though? I guess that's a question we could always ask. Has it always been this way? I think if we look in Advent, we look all the way back to the beginning because we think about why Jesus comes. And then so when we think about that, we look kind of back to the garden. And in the garden, that's not how things were. Uh, in the first encounter between God and his creation, he walked with us in the garden. He didn't hide himself. And then when Adam and Eve rebelled, they very literally hid themselves from God. So when we look at it, we were the first ones to hide uh, in this kind of big game of hide-and-seek uh, that we find uh, in the history of humanity. And, and even since then, we've constantly ran away from God. And it's God who pursues us to the ends of the earth. No matter where we go, uh, we find God. And... I mean, it'd be a lot easier if he'd just show himself again, like he did in the garden. That's, that's a question we can ask. Why doesn't God just show himself? Uh, Philip actually demands the same thing from Jesus. It's right towards the end of the Gospels, and Philip says, just show us the Father and that will be enough. Uh, but God chooses not to do that. And I, part of it is his respect for our freedom. That God refuses to overpower us or, or coerce us. If he showed himself in his full power, we wouldn't have any choice but to believe him. And it's part of the rule of freedom. Um, not that we run from God. It's not part of the rule of freedom that we run away from God. But it's part of the rule of freedom that we have the right to run away from God. That we have the right to refuse his love. Uh, that's why for, in the very early church, uh, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon is one of the favorite hymns, or one of the favorite books, uh, of all the church fathers. There were hundreds of commentaries written on it. And I think it's because it depicts so well, and sometimes uncomfortably, uh, just how passionately God pursues us. It's a love song, uh, or a love poem, from God to us, where the bridegroom, kind of in secret, pursues his bride, winning her love. Uh, in, in, and in so many creative ways, it just says over and over again, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Um, just an aside, any men looking to win over a respectable woman, there's just a storehouse of amazing lines in Song of Songs that I, I'll point you to. I actually always 
point this book out to everyone who I'm preparing for marriage, or just any husbands who are looking to spice it up with your wife with some creative lines. Well, I'll just read one of my favorites. So, you are beautiful, my love. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes come up from washing, each with a twin. It's one of my favorite lines. Uh, I'll stop there, though, because it gets a little PG-13 after that. Uh, but enough of that. Back to, the, back to the gospel. So, we hide ourselves from God. And... We continue to do so up until today, and he pursues us, but all the while respects our freedom. So what does this have to do with the season of Advent, and I guess more with our readings? Well, we first look to David in our first reading today, who the scriptures say was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who pursued the heart of God. Uh, He sang to the Lord. He wrote most of our psalms, actually. Uh, he danced before the Lord with abandon. We remember the ark coming into Jerusalem and David dancing before the ark. Uh, he wanted nothing more to, than to be in relationship with his God. Um, yet there he finds himself in Jerusalem, sitting in a beautiful palace, while the God who, who gave them the strength to conquer Jerusalem is in a tent, as though still in exile. And so he decides uh, he's going to build a temple for God. He's going to do something beautiful for God. Uh, And kind of what ensues is pretty amazing. That, uh, And I don't want us to misunderstand God's response through the prophet Nathan to David um, because he's not rebuking David, although it sounds a little harsh. Um, David wishes to build a temple for God, and God says, no, you're not going to build a temple for me. I'm going to build a kingdom for you that lasts forever. Um, So, David sets out to do something generous and selfless for God and instead receives a great gift because God is never outdone in generosity. Even the the feeblest um, act of love we give to God is returned a hundredfold from God to us. And so David sought to find God and instead he finds himself kind of found by God. And and I think, I'm, sh- I'm sure David found his life rather mysterious. He starts out as a shepherd and ends up as the king of Israel, whose kingdom will, will be the kingdom from which the Messiah comes. Uh, and so looking forward to the gospel today, we see the angel Gabriel again breaking into history uh, to visit a peasant girl in Nazareth. And this peasant girl receives a royal greeting. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And she's troubled when she meets an angel, as everybody who ever meets an angel is troubled, because they're intimidating. Um, And the angel calms her fear and tells her that she will bear the Messiah in her womb. Tells this peasant girl in Nazareth, a town of about 200, that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary's response is, let it be done. And I just kind of wonder, how, how is this possible? How is it possible that this peasant girl was, in a sense, ready for this? I think it's because her whole life was already a pursuit of God. That she, from the very beginning, knew in a sense that she was consecrated to God in a very particular way, and she lived her whole life for that consecration. Um, What did she know exactly what it looked like? No. But she had been seeking God with a relentless fervor for her entire life. And so when the mission came, she was ready to receive it. And so here we are, 
kind of close to Christmas. I mean, I guess if you consider the vigil, we're like about eight hours away. It's the fourth week of Advent doesn't really exist this year. Uh, but we're 2,000 years from the source. We can't go to the manger with the shepherds uh, to see Jesus. We don't, we don't get to witness angels announcing the coming of Jesus. Uh, we don't get to hear him preach. Uh, we don't get to see him pray to his father. And we just don't get to, the experience of the apostles that John talks about in his letter when he says, what we have heard, what we have seen with our own eyes, what we have looked upon and touched with our hands, that concerns the word of life. It kind of seems God came out of hiding for that short period of time. Uh, he changed his strategy but then went back into hiding again, and here we are kind of seeking him uh, in that same old way. And it's an interesting strategy, that change that he had, because it almost seems, I mean, is it easier to believe in a God who comes in a pillar of fire or a cloud on a mountaintop shooting lightning bolts out? Or is it easier to believe in a God who comes as a poor infant born into a manger in Bethlehem? Yet, the beauty and mystery of the plan is that God was able to come among us and be among us, but still respect our free will. It seems like that was the impossible thing. How is God going to show himself to us, but without forcing us to believe in him uh, and not respecting that freedom and love? But he did both. He came among us and respected that freedom. He came among us to win our love. And so as I mentioned, Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, and Jesus answers, if you remember in the Gospels, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So God revealed himself to us in a kind of incredible and unexpected way on this feast that we have here so soon. Um, His pursuit of our hearts brought him out of heaven um, and into time. This great mystery. And finally, in the most unexpected way, It brings him to all of us in the form of bread and wine. And that's the great, incredible mystery of the Eucharist, this kind of twist that 2,000 years down the road, we have a greater intimacy with God than those shepherds did when they looked at him in the manger. Uh, They couldn't have imagined being one with that small child who is God. And so I think that's the Song of Solomon, the kind of great marriage poem Uh, points very beautifully to our becoming one flesh with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, in communion. And so we, we have this great intimacy that no one has ever had before. Before Jesus came, that didn't exist. And now it exists in a new and profound way. And so let us enter into this Christmas uh, and pursue Jesus Christ with our whole heart. And together with Mary, we make our lives one great kind of fiat, Let it be done. Amen.